0: This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. We begin with an unsolved murder mystery. Actually, a series of unsolved murders. Perhaps the work of the United States' first serial killer.
1: Before Jack the Ripper terrorized London, before H.H. Holmes stalked the Chicago World's Fair, Austin, Texas was haunted by the servant girl annihilator.
0: Producer Avery Truffleman would like to reiterate that these murders are unsolved.
1: So it's possible that these were individual murders rather than the work of one man. The hard, fast fact is this. In 1885, eight women, mostly black servants, were brutally murdered in the dark of night.
0: And the night was very dark in Austin in 1885.
2: There was essentially no street lighting. The darkness of just life after sundown in the 19th century, is something that modern people are just completely unfamiliar with.
1: This is Bruce Hunt. He's an associate professor of the history of physics and technology at the University of Texas, Austin.
2: Basically, there was no outdoor lighting. There was moonlight. Uh, When the moon was out, that was about it.
1: And
0: in 1894, the city of Austin decided to buy more moonlight in the form of towers.
2: They're called moonlight towers because they were supposed to approximate a full moon.
1: Austin adopted moonlight towers, which really were towers. They were 15 stories high, very industrial-looking, made of metal scaffolding, and each was crowned with a circle of six lights, soaring way, way high above the city.
0: Austin wasn't the first to implement tower lighting. In the 1800s, a lot of major cities had them. Arc Light towers illuminated streets in New York, Baltimore,
1: L.A., San Jose,
0: and Detroit.
2: Detroit had a very huge system, much larger than Austin ever had.
1: And that's actually where Austin got their Moonlight Towers. In
2: 1894, the city purchased 31 of them from the city of Detroit.
1: And despite their romantic name, the absurdly tall Moonlight Towers were actually a very practical design.
2: They're not meant to look cool. They're very functional.
1: And their height was meant to accommodate the lighting they used.
2: They're arc lights. They initially were arc lights.
1: Carbon arc lights, the precursor to the
0: incandescent bulb.
2: Arc lights are basically a continued spark between two carbon electrodes. They're extremely bright. A lot of glare. They're the sort of thing you use in a searchlight.
0: And if you put arc lights at street level, that's blinding.
2: Well, the solution to that was to put it up high enough that you'd spread the light out.
1: But even on their high tower, the arc lights were still so bright. I mean, they'd be bright by today's standards. But then imagine what that would look like to you if you were an Austinite in the 1890s, accustomed to pitch black streets and gas lamps.
0: A gas lamp has the power of about 15 candles. An arc light has the power of a couple thousand.
3: It was a very intense light, almost too much light. People would go out and enjoy the light, but they would bring umbrellas in order to shield themselves from the glare.
1: This is Ernest Freeberg, head of the history department at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He's also the author of the book The Age of Edison, Electric Light and the Invention of Modern America.
0: And the glare was just one of the problems with arc lights. There were a few other downsides. One was that it sounded
3: like a... A swarm of angry bees. It would buzz, and it would uh, these, as these carbons burned, they would drop uh, shreds of ash, burning ash down on people down below. Uh, so there's a drawback.
1: Even with their blinding glare and nefarious hum and deposits of molten ash, carbon arc lights were still so exciting. They created a whole new world for people accustomed to dim and dark cities.
0: Because bright electric light can highlight certain things that you might not even notice in the full light of day. So there's
3: a lot of great discussion about, you know, seeing the grass in a totally different way. People love to look at their hands under the arc light in the dark, and they were seeing the details of their hands in in new ways.
1: Dude.
3: So it was really a a change in perception that that was... uh, thrilling and also the, the, the thrilling feeling of being out at night and feeling safe because uh, visibility equals safety.
1: Some cities thought that these newfangled streetlights were going to cut back on the need for police or even eliminate law enforcement entirely.
3: If you could set up a, an arc light in the middle of a, a town square, you'd sort of be returning the square to the public and take it away from criminals and ne'er-do-wells who are hanging around in the shadows uh, by driving out the shadows.
0: People called the arc lights policemen on a pole. And they allowed for a whole new kind of nightlife.
3: Many people were very excited to go out and and attend a fancy ball under the arc light. But once they got there, they realized that this, this harsh blue light highlighted every one of their imperfections. So every gray hair and wrinkle, many people vowed that they would never again go near electric light.
1: Vanity aside, everyone was kind of nervous about the general idea of light at night. "'Twas unnatural," they
0: decreed. "'The towers could cause sleeplessness, cast eerie shadows, crops would overproduce, hens would overlay."
1: There were stories that the arc lights lured restless alligators to the shore and attracted biblical proportions of crickets according to the Austin Statesman in 1921.
0: Egypt has nothing on central Texas when it comes to scourges. After the recent flood came the crickets, tempted by the beams of light to settle in illuminated vicinities.
1: Bruce Hunt suspects that these reports were overblown. Eh, you know, I think a lot of that was
2: kind of newspapermen joking around.
0: Oh, journalism was so much fun back then.
1: But the biggest problem with the towers was that their height made them a drag to maintain.
2: The arcs burned down the carbon electrodes very rapidly, so you had to go up and change them about once a day.
1: And I cannot emphasize enough how super tall these things are. As tall as a 15-story building. And if you look at one of Austin's moonlight towers, there's a rickety little pulley-type thing in the center of it. It's like a dumbwaiter apparatus.
2: Supposedly the guy would stand on that and... Pull himself up to go up and change the carbon electrodes every day. That's a nuisance and an expense. And so, as soon as they could, really, by the 1920s, the city replaced the arc lights, the carbon arcs, with big incandescent bulbs, which were not as bright, but were a lot easier to maintain.
0: But while Austin was futzing around with different bulbs, most other cities had already removed their tower lights completely.
2: Every place else abandoned them by about the 1920s, but Austin kept them.
1: Austin had fallen on hard times, and the city couldn't afford to tear down the towers. And so they just stayed.
0: And to this day, 17 of the original 31 survive. The last of the Moonlight Towers.
1: Although today, without the arc lights, the Moonlight Towers have a kind of weak and distant glow. They're easy to ignore. But you might know them from a little movie called Dazed and Confused.
0: Dazed and Confused is set in Austin in 1976. In the movie, a bunch of kids party and drive around until they all gather at the end by a moonlight tower.
3: There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. It's out at the moon
0: tower.
2: In the movie Dazed and Confused, the Richard Linklater movie, Matthew McConaughey says, party at the moon tower. But uh, they're moonlight towers.
0: In real life, people don't actually go
1: there to party.
0: Most of them are just in sort of like parking lots or something.
1: I went to a moonlight tower on the side of a busy road, on the corner of 9th and Guadalupe.
0: It's not Guadalupe, it's Guadalupe.
1: Clearly, I needed a local's help.
0: Uh, my name's Wiley Wiggins. I'm 38 years old. Uh, I was born and raised in Austin, Texas. Um, and in the early 90s, I was in a movie by Richard Linklater called Dazed and Confused. He played the freshman Mitch Kramer, who wonders about the moon towers.
1: Was well, it called the moon tower anyway? Uh, I guess they just decided to put it up out here whenever they were building the power plant. Actually, it's a good idea. I mean, you got a full moon out here every day of the year, you know? And then they all climb up the moon tower.
0: This place used to be off limits, man, because some drunk freshman fell off. He went right down the middle, smacking his head on every beam, man. I hear it doesn't hurt after the first couple, though. In real life, these moonlight towers would be really hard to climb, which is why, for this scene... Richard Linklater made a fake Moonlight Tower.
1: The one in the movie had a ladder, not the pulley thing, and it was nowhere near as tall as a real Moonlight Tower.
0: And I'm terrified of heights.
1: Wiley would have never tried this stunt. No one he knew actually did.
0: When I was a kid, there was always somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who had climbed it. It's unclear how many times this was ever attempted, but in any case, stories abound.
1: And there was a point when Austin considered finally taking these old lights down, just like all the other cities had done.
2: In the 50s and 60s, the attitude was, well, these are out of date, and we're going to pull those down. In fact, I've got a video that I found online that was a sort of little historical vignettes of Austin that was made by one of the local TV stations in the 1960s.
3: Tonight, Progress Report Austin presents the Legends of Austin.
2: And he said, here's the Moonlight Towers, and here they show
3: The romance of these moonlight towers will disappear in a few years. There are 29 of these towers left, each 150 feet high, with mercury vapor lamps of 9,000 candle power.
2: Now, they're out of date now and no doubt will soon disappear.
3: Modern times and new improvements in lighting have made these inefficient for providing light to our city at night. And it's a shame for anyone who has walked under their glow on a fall evening, watching the shadows around him, knows the beauty they have provided.
2: And there's that sort of tone that that's, well, a little remnant of our past that we will lose soon. Well, people just said, why should we lose it?
1: Keep them up. So the towers were inducted into the National Registry of Historic Places in 1976.
0: Some of the towers even have plaques.
1: And Austin's power provider, Austin Energy, funnels a lot of resources into maintaining the towers. Take it from Austin Energy spokesman Carlos Cordova.
2: Right now, what's really interesting about the Moonlight Towers is they're going to be going through a renovation.
1: And this renovation is a total drag because these towers are in the National Registry of Historic Places.
2: They have to be restored to their original form. So we can't go to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy bolts and nuts. The contractor has to cast bolts and parts that look exactly
3: identical to the original so he can keep its historic designation.
0: That's what I love about these Moonlight Towers, man.
3: I get older, they stay the same age. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. Yes, they do.
1: Kind of an expensive project, isn't
2: it? Yes, it's very specialized work that, of course, affects the
1: price. But notice there wasn't any uproar from the citizens about spending this money on the Moonlight Towers. Austinites are willing to put up the funds. The towers are this point of civic pride. Every year during the holidays, Austin Energy strings Christmas lights from the Moonlight Tower in Zilker Park, and Austinites lovingly refer to that tower as the Zilker Park Tree. Austin also hosts the Moon Tower Comedy Festival, and there's a local band called Moonlight Towers, and at a restaurant I ordered a drink called a Moonlight Tower.
0: The towers have become part
1: of the character and folklore of Austin.
0: I mean, there's all sorts of legends and stuff about them. Like when I was a kid, of course, there was always a legend that somebody had climbed up on acid and fallen off and died, which is evidently not true. But then, of course, the other legend is that they were built because of there was a serial killer, like a in the uh, what, like the 1800s, and that one I think is supposed to be true. Right? Have we have we verified
1: this? <laughs>
2: The Servant
0: Girl Annihilator story is not a myth at all,
2: it's absolutely true. It has nothing to do with the Moonlight Towers.
1: At least not directly.
2: That was all over with uh, well before the talk about the Moonlight Towers came up, and I've never seen anything about a need for them being associated with the Servant Girl Annihilator case.
0: Still, the Servant Girl Annihilator became the Genesis story that Austinites tell about these lights.
1: And the story of the Servant Girl Annihilator does truly illustrate the limitations of 19th century nighttime. These carbon arc street lamps were chasing away darkness and fear.
3: And I think it's something we so easily take for granted how liberating this is, how much the darkness was a permanent form of limitation on uh, free will and, and human activity uh, for us. I mean, it had great benefits, of course, that, that we sometimes miss because we have too much light now.
1: Moonlight Towers were a strange offshoot, a sort of Neanderthal in the evolution of the streetlight. And in Austin, where
0: Keep Austin Weird is an unofficial slogan of the city, printed on bumper stickers and scrawled on bathroom walls, you can't help but feel like the Moon Towers are doing their part. After every other city has torn their towers down, Austin holds on to theirs and preserves them. A reminder of the time when the Texas capital was just an oddball little town that bought the moon.
3: To those who haven't looked closely, look closely soon, for the day of the artificial moonlight is ending, and this sight will one day disappear from our city, the last in our nation with the moonlight glow from such
0: towers. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Avery Truffleman, Katie Mingle, Sam Greenspan, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of KALW 91.7 San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Special thanks to Josephine Hill and Mark Oppenheimer for help on this episode. Support for ninety-nine percent invisible comes from our nictophobic and nictophilic listeners, and from Casper, an online retailer of obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. I got a king-size mattress that, and it comes a vacuum-packed in this huge box. And you would have thought Batman showed up in my house. The boys were so excited. So you remove the box and you cut the outer wrapping, and air like rushes in, and the mattress emerges like a butterfly. We did it. of course as soon as it was all set up and we bounced on it a bit the boys had already set their sights on what to do with the box
1: i think we should make get into a fort i think that's a great idea
0: try sleeping on a casper for 100 days and they have free delivery and painless returns and so you can just try it out and see if it works for you team mars is really sold on it so i hope you like it 99% of Visible listeners can get $50 towards any purchase of a box fort with a mattress stuffed inside by visiting casper.com slash 99PI and using the promo code 99PI at checkout. Support is also provided by Squarespace, the fast and easy way to create your own website, blog, or portfolio. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, and beautiful, beautiful new templates. Try the new Squarespace at squarespace.com. It's free for two weeks. There's no credit card required. But when you purchase, which you'll want to do after you try it, enter the offer code INVISIBLE at checkout and you'll save 10%. Squarespace. Start here go anywhere. And finally, this show would probably not exist without the support of Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boys always have something to say. What do you got to say, boys?
2: So if we get all the little extra boxes, too, we can
0: make it bigger. They're still pretty excited about the fort. Tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter from the great people behind MailChimp. Speaking of MailChimp, Day in the Night Foundation helped us create Radiotopia from PRX, the original independent public radio podcast supergroup.
3: Welcome to the allusionist. That's allusionist with an A, not an I. This is Criminal.
0: Welcome. Welcome to Strangers. To the heart. The truth. Theory of everything. Radio diaries. Love and radio. Fugitive
1: waves from the Kitchen Sisters.
0: If you are a cool company and would like to sponsor Radiotopia, email sponsor at radiotopia.fm. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars. If you follow me in either one of those two places, you could be aware of all the things and talks and events we have coming up, including a free public talk that I'm giving in a middle school gym about two miles from my house. So excited about that one. Plus, we have a cool Tumblr, a Spotify playlist. We're on Instagram, but I encourage you to explore the entire world of 99% Invisible at 99pi.org.